Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is volume 13, issue number 34. Happens to correspond with the week of August the 7th of 2023. Okay, before we get started, I want to go through a free thought that I had written in here. Eight years have passed since the fast food experiment that I performed in my garage at my house remains on my shelf here in Salisbury Pediatric Associates headquarters. And the crazy thing about this experiment is that there are zero signs of decay or infestation with worms, insects, or mold in the residual food from that experiment. It's quite incredible view of the foodstuffs that millions of Americans consume every day from fast food, whether it's McDonald's or Burger King or others. The toxic soup that's in this food has allowed it to endure on my shelf in a sort of petrified, dried out state without any sign of microbiologic encroachment. That can't be good for us. The only way that's happening is through large volumes of toxins that prevent such organisms from growing. The original experiment had my burger, which was homemade with organic meat and organic bread, was destroyed with mold and maggots within a week. And here we are eight years later. It's no wonder then that so many of us are challenged with diseases of modernity. How much of this is related to food and the toxins that are related in them? It's hard to know because it's not being studied appropriately. But studies like this are really emblematic in my mind of what's not good for us. Frankly, ultimately, it's remarkable that a maggot will not consume this food, but we will. All right. Let's get into the issue. Asthma part five, and then choking, and then a recipe of the week. So asthma, allergies, and nutrition, the story part five, the nutritional studies. And let's discuss a case. DM is a 12-year-old Caucasian male who presented to the integrative pediatric clinic for the first time at the age of eight years with a chief complaint of moderate persistent asthma and allergic rhinitis. His past medical history relates one to three severe asthmatic flares per winter requiring steroids and overnight hospital stays and the associated costs over the past few years. He had relatively mild disease in between major flares and was well controlled with a high-dose inhaled corticosteroid, making it really difficult to predict these severe respiratory events. His mother brought him to our clinic for a different approach since they had failed to stop the flares over the last five years through traditional medical routes. His past medical history is notable for a term newborn vaginal delivery. He was exclusively breastfed until six months of age and had no history of milk protein or food intolerances or food allergies of any kind as an infant. He had no atopic diseases like atopic dermatitis or gastroesophageal reflux. His first wheezing episode occurred at 18 months of age with a viral low respiratory tract infection. This makes the phenotype or the genotype of this asthma type reality not IgE mediated, which is the most common type, which is TH2. His past family history is significant for a father with allergic rhinitis, atopic dermatitis, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, and asthma. His environment was notable for dog exposure at home, carpeting in his bedroom, as well as many stuffed animals on his bed that he played with. There were not any noted social or spiritual concerns with his family and no significant stressors. There were no local toxic exposures and thorough environmental history could not elicit an intermittent cause for these flares. His dietary history is primarily whole food and vegetarian. Little to no junk food is consumed by his family and himself. His immunizations were up to date. 
It's been a case of the time where QVAR, which is an inhaled corticosteroid at 80 micrograms, two to three puffs with a spacer device twice daily. Albuterol inhaler, two puffs every six to eight hours as needed. Padded ophthalmic drops for his eyes and atopic conjunctivitis daily as needed. His laboratory testing noted normal pulmonary function testing in the midsummer time when he is relatively asymptomatic. Micronutrient and antibody evaluations were as follows. Serum IgE total was 499, which was high. Allergic IgE antibody to cat dander, all three dust mites tested, were high. All other specific IgE testing was negative. Skin testing was positive for dog, cat, and dust mite. So as of this testing, it appears that he is actually Th2 and IgE-mediated, where initially it did not appear based on the lack of IgE-mediated atopic dermatitis or what appeared to be significant allergic rhinitis. His vitamin D or 25-hydroxy vitamin D level was 35 which was low normal. Red blood cell zinc level was 10, which was low normal. Serum IgE testing, or excuse me, serum IgG testing for foods was positive for wheat, egg white, and egg yolk, as well as soybeans and dairy. He did not have serum IgE food testing performed as he had no immediate type food reaction history to any foods. His mineral levels are low normal, so for me that's considered insufficient, but not deficient. And that is just based on optimal function. Physical exam noted only allergic shiners and a pale and mildly boggy nasal passageway. He was placed on an elimination diet for the three main offensive foods, dairy, egg, and gluten. He was asked to rotate the legumes and limit their consumption. He was started on an herbal medicine twice daily that included stinging nettles, quercetin, and bromelain. He began a probiotic with 40 billion colony-forming units daily. He was taking one gram of EPA and DHA fish oil daily and 30 milligrams of zinc piconolate every other day, as well as magnesium citrate, 100 milligrams twice daily. He was counseled to get at least 20 minutes of direct sunlight daily and exercise as much as tolerated. Over the subsequent 12 months, he was able to go an entire winter without a single serious asthma flare, despite four upper respiratory infections. This was a first for him. Now, he was still on his steroids, remember. That did not change. But what did change was the outcome of the new intervention plus the steroids and how many flares he had in the winter. His allergies remained somewhat of a problem, however, and the family was reluctant to move the dog from the home or start sublingual immune therapy, which was unfortunate. Over the subsequent 12 months, he was able to wean off his inhaled steroids. He never acquired another admission to the hospital or visit to the ER for his asthma, And by two years, he added back eggs to his diet with no concern. But he remained off gluten and dairy because he felt better off of them. At this point, he is symptom-free from an asthma standpoint and well-controlled on the herbal medicine for his allergies. He only takes a daily probiotic and fish oil as his maintenance therapy to date. So for me, this case illustrates the dietary pathways that can can be taken to achieve a desired outcome. In this case, it was more of an avoidance of certain foods than the addition. Many of my other cases are a combination of avoidance and addition of many foods in the vegetable and fruit category. Primarily, it's the avoidance of Americanized, processed, highly calorically dense, poorly micronutrient-loaded foods. So based on the totality of available data and presented over the last few weeks as we've been discussing them in this newsletter, we see a pattern of eating that can be profoundly effective on human inflammatory type diseases like asthma. Following a Mediterranean or a Blue Zone style diet is correlated with less disease, less medicine use, and overall better sense of well-being. 
The principles of an effective eating pattern to reduce the risk of inflammation and asthma are as follows. 1. Consume 10 or more servings of fresh whole vegetables and fruits daily. 2. Rotate foods constantly and eat seasonally where possible. 3. Drink lots of free, free, fresh, clean water daily. 4. Aim for 40 or more grams of fiber day, per day. Beans and berries are a great source of fiber. 5. Eat avocados, nuts, and seeds daily. 6. Consume small oily fish a few times a week. Try salmon, mackerel, sardines, or trout. 7. Severely limit processed foods, especially those laden with flour, sugar, and processed oils. 8. Reduce your consumption of saturated fats from animal or vegetarian sources. 9. Monounsaturated fats like extra virgin olive oil prize for health benefits. 10. Avoid all trans fats like margarine and vegetable shortening. 11. Do not eat foods that have ingredients that you cannot pronounce or understand. 12. Consider timed eating patterns for antigenic bowel rest, i.e. only eat between 12 p.m. and 8 p.m. daily. 13. Avoid foods that are food allergy or sensitivity based on testing and elimination trials. And 14. Be mindful and eat slowly, maximizing chewing activity to effectively break down these foods. This comes to us from Julia et al. in 2015 in the the journal Nature Reviews Immunology. So for me, as as with all things in life, it's about balance. A balanced diet is critical to a healthy disease outcome. So what are some final thoughts as we end the tour of nutrition and asthma in humans? What are the adjunctive therapies that can be leveraged for better outcomes? For me, simply put, think of asthma and allergy symptoms as a glass of water overflowing. If the cup overflows, then you have disease symptoms like sneeze, congestion, itchy eyes, wheeze, shortness of breath, cough, and so on. Therefore, it would make sense that we reduce the volume of water in the cup to reduce the disease burden. This helps to rebalance the immune response. Other than the previously discussed nutritional and micronutrient changes, what can we do? First, avoid known triggers of disease. If you are allergic to dust, cat or dog hair, pollen, etc., learn how to mitigate these antigenic triggers in your local environment. Visit websites like www.aaaai.org or my good friends at Allergy Choices, www.allergychoices.com. So, there's another article in Frontiers in Pediatrics with Dr. Cipriani who had some other ideas. What about house dust mites if you want to avoid the exposure to that allergen? Well, use bed casings for mattresses or duvet pillows. Wash bedding weekly in hot water and dry in heated dryers. What about removing dust mite reservoirs like toys or stuffed animals? Right, Keep them clean or run through the dryer. Carpets. Use specialized HEPA filter-based vacuum cleaners. Right, They'll help out a lot. Keep indoor humidity less than 50% if possible. When it comes to pets, remove pets from the bedroom and everywhere the child spends a lot of time. Clean upholstered furniture as best you can. Remove upholstered furniture and carpet if possible. Encase the mattress and pillow again in bed casings for pets. Keep the pet clean with frequent baths. And again, use HEPA filters where possible, especially in the child's bedroom. If you're trying to avoid insect irritation, Inspect or detect hiding places like kitchens and identify food sources that could be sitting around and get rid of them. Store food in sealed containers. Exterminate with pesticides or bait traps as needed. Remove clutter and seal holes and cracks in your home to keep the insects out. And traditionally, we're talking here mostly about cockroaches. Mold. Reduce indoor humidity. Again, keep it less than 50%. Remove contaminated carpets, wallpaper, woodwork, anything that is mold-associated. Treat washable surfaces with detergent and water and then completely dry them. 
repair water leaks. What about pollen? Keep windows closed. You know, bathe to remove allergens from hair and body after being outside. Consider to use HEPA air filtration in your bedroom again or in your whole house. And then some of the same principles that we saw in mold, I would continue here as well. Also consider allergen immunotherapy, either as subcutaneous immune therapy or sublingual immune therapy to retrain the immune system to recognize these triggers as benign actors and not troublemakers. I prefer to go to the sublingual immune therapy route or SLIT, as it is much cheaper, requires less family time, driving to the office weekly for shots at all doses are administered at home and works equally well. The only hiccup remains that SLIT is not covered by most insurances. None of this makes any sense to me as to the why, it just is. The cost is very reasonable for the benefit outcome. We have offered this desensitization route in our office for years with excellent results. You can find a provider in your community wherever you are at by going to allergychoices.com. Third, always take your medicines as directed until the prevention interventions kick in and your provider team agrees to wean the meds. Asthma flares can and will kill some patients every year. Please take this very seriously. I have seen this happen. Compliance of medicine is a major key to positive outcomes. Part two, choking prevention. Choking is a common and scary event that can occur in any home where an infant and or toddler resides. Counseling young, all parents on effective parenting around eating and playtime can really help reduce the risk of such an event. Choking is an almost entirely preventable issue. It is primarily caused by food that is ingested at the wrong size at the developmental age of the child. Other objects to be alert for are small objects that can cause choking, such as coins, buttons, marbles, jewelry, and small toys. Thinking about what can be in a child's environment is based on age and knowing that toys are designed to be used by the child within a certain age range. A toy's age range guidelines are set to protect against being a choking hazard. My advice is this. Number one, never let your child eat and run or walk at a young age. Tripping and falling can induce a choking event. Encourage people to chew their food thoroughly. Avoid talking and laughing with a mouthful. This way, the size of the particles in the mouth before swallowing are smaller and unlikely to be choked on. Two, scan the floor at any new home your toddler is in for choking hazards like Lego pieces, toys, batteries, coins, and other small objects. Families that have 5 to 12-year-old children often have little choking hazards on the floor. Three, supervise small children. Always supervise infants and young children during meals and playtime. They tend to explore objects by putting them in their mouths, which can lead to choking hazards. Cut food into small pieces. Cut food, especially hard and round foods like grapes, hot dogs, and carrots into small pieces before serving them to young children or those who have difficulty chewing. These small bite-sized pieces prevent the ability to be aspirated or from lodging in the airway. Encourage them to chew thoroughly again. Avoid foods like nuts, popcorn, solid meat pieces the size of airway, and hard fruit. Four, if you think that your child swallowed a battery or magnet, call a doctor to evaluate immediately. These devices are associated with chemical and electromagnetic burns that can have devastating consequences if not handled appropriately. Five, don't let your young child play in a room with toys designed for older children. Latex balloons are also a choking hazard. If a child bites a balloon and takes a breath, he could, could suck it into his airway. Educate all family members and caregivers. Make sure that everyone involved in caring for children or vulnerable individuals is aware of choking hazards and preventative measures. In the newsletter archive, you can go to SalisburyPS.com and pull this newsletter up again, number 34, volume 13, and there's a choking video link. It's worth watching. There are many other good ways to get educational videos online by going to the CPR websites or go to HealthyChildren.org. 
Finally, be prepared for emergencies. Have emergency contact information readily available and know how to seek immediate medical assistance in case of a choking incident. Section three, the recipe of the week. This one's by Chef Mark Allison. It's called sweet potato, kale, coconut, and peanut soup. Awesome stuff here. Has all kinds of ingredients in it, including ginger, garlic, turmeric, lots of anti-inflammatory compounds, and um, anti-nausea compounds, lots of vitamins A, C, and K in this in this dish. So I highly encourage you to get on the website, pull up the link, and you'll see how to make this excellent, excellent dish. Okay, song of the week, Holiday by the Scorpions. And that's it. I hope you all have a fabulous day. Appreciate you listening. And as always, hug those kids. The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or the healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the provider formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.